If you all could stand, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We're actually be in chapter 11 at the end there. We're going to start at verse 39. Verse 39, it says, In all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we do, I just thank you again for uh, just all that you, all that you do and all that you are. And we thank you for your word and the opportunity that we have again to just be reminded of the truth, uh, Lord, that we just pray you would renew our minds uh, as, as we are being uh, just bombarded with so many different ideas and we need uh, your wisdom and, and your direction in, in discerning what is true. And so we thank you that you've spoken, that you've given us your word and we just pray that as we go through this passage this morning, uh, just that, that you would be exalted, uh, that Christ would be made much of and that in our own hearts we would be encouraged uh, in, in our faith in running our race with Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to get to, to preach and to share with you all. Uh, Charlie is on his way to Canada this morning. He's going to be there for a week. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I was just thinking through of you know, so many different uh, again, you, when you're just coming and, and speaking for one Sunday, you have a lot of options of where you're going to speak from. It's kind of overwhelming. The most stressful part is picking what I'm going to preach on uh, because it's, there's so much. And so this is a familiar passage for us. And so some context of kind of why I, I chose this passage. One of my roles at His Hill is, is I'm the camp director. Uh, and so at the end of every week of camp, when the parents come to pick up their kids, we have this slideshow that we do, and it just shows some pictures from the week, and it just gives a, a quick recap of, of how the week went. And so then after that, the parents come and pick up their kids and uh, talk to the counselor or something about the week, and it's just kind of, the, it's our closing program, our closing ceremonies. And we do something similar, uh, parents don't come pick up our, the, the kids, but we do something similar at the end of camp with our summer staff, our summer volunteers. And that we have a, a slideshow that we do that's just a recap of the whole summer. So it's a little bit longer. There's a lot more moments that we want to capture and rehash and, and laugh at. Uh, and, and so this is something that we do at the very end of, of the summer. And so this happened a week from Friday. Uh, it was our, our last day. And so our summer staff were all there. And we watched this closing slideshow. And after that, usually Charlie or myself will just share a few words with the, the summer volunteers, just thanking them for, 
for serving and being there that summer. And something that, you know, I've been camp director now for six years, and something that I've seen is that uh, that, last, that last Friday, something that consistently characterizes both the volunteers and the permanent staff is that we're all just really tired. Uh, that, that camp is a very demanding season, and summer is very demanding, and it's long days, and it's really hot. Uh, and so, so at the end of it, we're just, we're tired. Uh, and, and I was encouraging the volunteers as they left on Friday uh, that, you know what, there's, there's a season for everything, and there's a season for rest as well. So I was excited that they were going to go home and get to sleep in their own bed. And for many of them, they're going to go to cooler climates and, and get some good rest. Uh, but, but in Proverbs chapter 1, it talks about the complacency of fools is their destruction. And that there is a good rest and a lazy rest. And that there's, there's a distinction there. There's one that's profitable and one that's self-seeking. And, and so they, you know, I encourage them to, to take rest, and, but to, to consider uh, how it is that they're going to, to rest, uh, to, to be refreshed in the Lord after a season that is just so busy and so demanding and just giving of ourselves each and every day. And then from that, I was just thinking, you know, it strikes me just how much Scripture does talk about uh, the encouragement to not lose heart, to persevere, remain steadfast, endurance, uh, and even here in, in verse 3, he encourages them to not lose heart. And so I have a number of verses here, just five verses, uh, that I'm just going to read of different passages in the New Testament where we're encouraged to not lose heart. So I'm just going to read through them. You can jot them down if you want to look them up later. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Encouraging them to be steadfast. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And then, same chapter, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And the Lord sees that it's, it's appropriate to remind one another and encourage each other, keep going, keep running. Uh, and so it's nothing new, but it's just reminders of the same truths that are encouraging our hearts, building up our spirits, and running the race that's set before us. There was a, a student who <clears throat> I got a phone call from one time, and she'd been out of Bible school for probably about seven months. Uh, and so she'd gone through a nine-month program, studying the Word, hearing a lot about what it means to walk by faith to abide in Christ. Well, what is this Christian life all about? How do we live the Christian life? And so after the, the nine months of Bible school, you know, she, she had a great time and did really well in Bible school. And seven months later, she calls me up and she's really discouraged. She's like, John, I just, I just am, 
am so discouraged about where I'm at with the Lord. So I'm trying so hard to, to apply all these different things that I heard at Bible school and truths that I know are, are real, but I just keep waiting for that moment where I'm going to start to abide in Christ and I'll just keep abiding. Uh, that, that it'll just click. And, and it won't be these ups and downs in my, in my walk, but rather I'll just be consistent and steadfast and immovable in my faith, in my abiding with Christ. And it's, it's hard. And she was discouraged. And, and I think that's just a question that a lot of us ask is, how do we, how do we keep running when we have a season or a day or a week when we're simply tired uh, or discouraged? What does that look like? You know, how do we keep running a race that's so demanding? Because Jesus, he put pretty high standards on it. He said, if you don't hate your father and mother, your brother or sister, your wife, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. And that just seems like a very high cost. Sometimes I, I don't want to hate my own life. Sometimes I really want to like my life and, and do what I want. Uh, and, and this consistent call to self-denial in each day, in each moment, I think grows, can grow tiring. So how do we keep running? I think there's these three realities here in this passage that the Lord mentions, uh, that the writer in Hebrews mentions. And so I'm just going to go through these three different things I think we should consider as we're running our race. Uh, What is it that we ought to consider in order to be reminded or encouraged to keep going? And so first off, in chapter 11, verse 39, he said, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And in chapter 11 in Hebrews, the whole chapter is, is about men, who have, men and women who have gone before us. Uh, people in the Old Testament who exercised faith. And we can look at each of these people and we can see flaws and failures in their lives, mistakes that they made, uh, but... Yet, at the end of it, in chapter 11, he says, people of whom the world was not worthy. Uh, that these were men and women who, who ran their race to the glory of God. And what was it that caused the Lord to put his stamp of approval on their lives? And he says here, verse 39, all these having gained approval through their faith. He says that was it. There was nothing more. It wasn't because of what they were bringing to the table, what they were bringing into the, the race, into their walks with Christ, and their relationship with Christ. But he says it was because of their faith that they were granted approval, that the Lord said, accepted, because of faith. And faith in what? He says in chapter 11, verse 13, earlier on, he said, all these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And so they believed in the promises and they welcomed them from afar. What is it that they're welcoming from afar? It's the promise of Christ himself. You know, when God tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he's going to make of him a great nation and through him all the failures of the earth are going to be blessed. And it's not through Abraham himself, but through the seed of Abraham, one seed, Christ. And he believed that. 
He believed in the promises of God, and God approved him. He counted it to him as righteousness. And his belief was in the promise of Christ. That as he is placing his faith in Christ, as those who have gone before us are placing their faith in Christ, they are considered approved. They are approved through their faith. And so we, we see that you know, those who have gone before us, in chapter 12, verse 1, we have this great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And something that we ought to be considering in our race that encourages us to run, to, to die to ourselves and to walk with Christ, is considering those who have gone before us. And specifically, I think, those of the Old Testament. Uh, the context, that's what we're talking about. And I think it's true that we can consider those, just all believers who have gone before us, and stories that we hear and lives that we know, and we can be encouraged by that. But specifically, he's talking about those who've gone before us and we have their stories recounted in, in the Old Testament. And he says that considering them is an encouragement in our own race. He's about to get to the race in just a minute. But I want to just take a moment to think about this word witnesses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. And this word witnesses, I mean... It, it can be taken different ways in the English language. You know, that maybe it's a witness of, uh, we think of someone who's running a race and there's a crowd around and they're cheering them on. They're witnessing the race. They're watching it. And, and so, you know, I, I've heard people say that that's what he's talking about here. That these Old Testament saints, that they are on the sidelines cheering us on, saying, keep going, keep going. And, and I just don't think that that's the full scale of what he's talking about. I don't think that, that he says, be encouraged and keep going because David is on the sideline cheering you on saying, keep going, you, you can make it. Uh, I don't think that's his point. But there's another way that we can take witnesses, and that's someone who gives testimony, that they themselves have seen or experienced something, and they witness or they testify to that truth that they know to be real. And so all these people who have gone before us, they have witnessed who Christ is. They have witnessed the character of God. And I think of someone like David. What kind of witness does David give to somebody who is discouraged in their walk with Christ? Someone who is, feels hamstrung by a sin in their life that they just can't seem to be rid of. And I hear David saying, keep running because I can tell you that God gives grace and forgiveness. I can tell you, confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And David can say that. Keep running, because I've witnessed something about God. I've witnessed his grace. What would Joseph say to somebody who is running their race, and they're discouraged because in their workplace it's a hostile environment? You know, and every time you go to work, and it just seems like you're unwelcome, you're an outcast, you know, people, people look at you differently than they look at everybody else. And I hear Joseph saying, keep running. In the name of Christ, walk in your workplace in a manner worthy of Christ. Because even though it looks, you, you feel downcast, you feel like everybody else around you thinks less of you because of your faith and your convictions, I promise you that I've seen God working providentially 
and the most dire work environments. When did you feel forgotten and unappreciated? Joseph says, keep running, because I've witnessed who God is. I've witnessed that God is working all things. Even if others mean it for evil, God means it for good. So keep running. Jacob, the testimony he would give of trying family circumstances, being outcast from his family, having to run from his family because of mistakes that he's made, surely there's no way that he could ever be restored. And yet at the end of Jacob's life, not the end of his life, but during his life, Esau, his brother, who wanted to kill him. At some point along the way, God softened Esau's heart. And instead of coming at Jacob with a sword, he comes at him and he hugs him and he kisses him. Surely Jacob could give testimony, even though you feel like a family situation is unreconcilable. God is big enough. Put your faith in him. Keep going. And so these witnesses that we have just reminds me how all of Scripture is is inspired by God and is profitable. These Old Testament stories that, that we're prone to think that we grow out of, we know the story of Jonah. And still, the story of Jonah is profitable. That these are witnesses who can encourage us in running the race that's set before us. And so one of the ways that we are encouraged is by considering these witnesses. Secondly, uh, what we consider to be encouraged in our, our race. Reading verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I think we need to consider what it is that we're carrying in the race. What is it that we're, we're running with? You know, the, the word used here is encumbrance, and the ESV or NIV, I think the word is weight or weights. You know, what things weigh us down as we're running? And you notice anytime you, you watch people who are running, especially in the Olympics, you know, they, they're not wearing a whole lot. Uh, because they're wanting to be as light as possible as they run. And he says, what things are encumbering you? What things are weights in your race with Christ? In the race that God has set before you? What's weighing you down? And there's this distinction too that, that needs to be made here. Because I think a lot of times when, I, when we read this verse, it's easy to think, okay, what sins are there in my life that, that seem to be tripping me up and inhibiting me in my relationship with Christ, uh, in my faith. But it's not just about sin. Here he, he makes a distinction between an encumbrance and the sin. Seems to be two separate things. They're not one and the same. That there are things that we can be involved in that are not inherently sinful that the Lord calls us to lay aside. Good things. Things that, that, again, aren't condemned in Scripture that he says, is it a weight? Yeah, at His Hill we have a climbing wall, and I've been, uh, when I was a student at His Hill and now on staff, 
I've been involved with working at the tower in so about nine years now. And, and we have rules at the climbing wall that when someone comes, they have to have closed-toed shoes when they climb. This isn't you know, anything complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Obviously, you don't want to go up there barefoot, though we've had students that think that's a good idea. Um, but, but they have to wear shoes, closed-toed shoes. And so if someone sh- shows up and they have sandals or flip-flops on, we tell them, no, you, you can't climb the wall because you have to have closed-toed shoes on. This is for your safety. Uh, and, and sometimes if somebody tries to climb the wall in flip-flops, then they're breaking the rule. Uh, they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing, straightforward. Uh, but in all the years that I've been helping with the climbing wall, I've never had somebody come to the climbing wall and say, hey, I want to climb, and they're wearing their, their really nice loafers on, or they're wearing high-heeled shoes. That, that doesn't happen. I have yet to see it. Uh, that someone comes in their high-heeled shoes to climb the wall. And we don't have any rules against that. Like if somebody, if someone wants to come in their high-heeled shoes, they can go for it. And the rest of us will be entertained watching them try to climb in those shoes that are really uncomfortable. And they might even make it to the top. It just might take them a lot longer. They might be a lot more painful. But it's, it's doable. They can, they can do that if they want. But it's very uncomfortable. And, and yet, I've never seen anybody even suggest or try to do that. Why not? Because it doesn't make any sense. Everyone knows. Common sense says I should wear something like sneakers, something that's going to be more flexible when I'm climbing up this wall. I'm not going to wear dress shoes. This isn't complicated. And yet, I think when we are in our Christian life, we often feel like we can bring things in that aren't best, but you know what? We'll just enjoy it anyway. Even though it's, it's, it's not condemned, so it's not that big of a deal, and we, we come to, to our walk with Christ, and we are always asking the question, is this allowed? Am I allowed to do this? Is this a sin? Is this okay for me to do? And that's our, our common question. I hear this all the time uh, in my own home, in my own heart. I hear this with students. You know, am I allowed to do this? And in our Christian life, we ask that same question of the Lord, am I allowed to do this? Is this a sin? It's not a sin, so it must be okay. And, and I just think that well, what he's talking about here is that's like trying to climb the climbing wall with dress shoes on. That a lot of the, the things that we bring and we justify in our lives, we say, but it's not wrong. And, and we're right. It's not a sin, but it's not what's best. It doesn't make sense. It, looking, looking back from having perspective on it, we can see, if we're honest with ourselves, these things are not profitable. They're not helpful. And so the, and, and we have these questions all the time, um, you know, that we, we hear them coming up in, in the church. The question that's coming up more and more is the, the smoking of marijuana. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a sin. In a lot of countries now, it's legal, uh, or in, in certain states, it's legal now. It's becoming more prevalent, and churches are wrestling with this question, what's wrong with it? It's not condemned in Scripture. And... And it's the question of, but, but is it what's best? Is it profitable? Is it helpful? And so in, in churches, we're wrestling with these different things. Uh, is, is this movie allowed? 
Is this vacation allowed? Is this website allowed? Is this book allowed? And we're always wondering, what are we allowed to do? Wanting to get as close to the edge as we can. And, you know, as, as I raise kids, I see this come out in certain, certain of my kids that some of them are just much more prone to make sure they're watching me as they're doing something because they know that it's on the edge. Should I, should I be doing this? So they watch me the whole time to see, is he going to say anything? Is he going to say anything? And in our relationship with Jesus, we do the same thing. Is he going to say anything? It's not that big of a deal. It's allowed. So why not? It's not condemned. And it's the wrong question. So what is the right question? If the question that we should be asking isn't, am I allowed to do this? In the context of this passage, what is the question that we should be asking? And he's talking about running. Running a race. Laying aside the things that that encumber us, that weigh us down. And so the question that we should be asking is, does it help me run? Is this thing that I am participating in, that I'm enjoying, that I'm being entertained by, whatever it is, every aspect of my life is part of my race that God has set before me. There isn't an isolation of right now I'm running my race with Christ, but when I get off work, I have one hour that I'm not running. And during that time... I can do whatever I want. I can watch whatever I want. I can justify whatever I want. But no, every part of our lives is the race that we're called to. And so in every situation, we're asking, does this help me run? And this isn't saying that all entertainment is bad. This isn't saying that all these things that are allowed are in and of themselves bad. But it's asking and being honest with ourselves this question of, is this best? Is this helping me run, or is this a weight? Is this an encumbrance? And so, you know, we, we have freedom in Christ. You know, we, we bring that up a lot. It's brought up to me a lot. Um, as, you know, we have a dress code at His Hill, and students may end up in my office because of not wanting to follow the dress code. And they say, you know, this, this is not a big deal. Like, why am I being called into your office because of a dress code? Uh, because I'm not dressing this way, and, and I have freedom in Christ to, to dress this way. And it's nothing too crazy or, you know, way out there. But, but still, this, this truth that, well, I have freedom in Christ. So why can't I be allowed to do this? And... And yes, we have freedom in Christ, that in Christ we are made a new creation, that in Christ the old is gone and the new has come. In Christ we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And that in Christ, because of what God has done in us and removed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, we now have the freedom to run. Before, we couldn't run. We were slaves to sin. We were dead in our transgressions. And now in Christ we've been set free. Set free for what? To run. And so we run. Laying aside every encumbrance, every weight. And you notice he's, he's uh, absolute. You know, that he says, laying aside every encumbrance. 
And it's one of those little words that if he left that out, you know that we would run with it. Lay aside encumbrances. If you just left it at that, we think, so not everything. There's exceptions. But he doesn't leave room for exceptions. Every single one. And so we are challenged to ask the question, what things in my life would qualify as weights, as encumbrances? And, and I can look back on countless decisions in my life, big and small, where I go into the decision and I know already the answer that I want. Uh, and it is really just a matter of working to my own reasoning to justify my decision that I want to make uh, and to justify the, the activity that I want to participate in. And we can do this. But when we're coming to these decisions and we're evaluating, is this, is this lightening my heart in the race or is this entangling me, weighing me down in the race? And the Lord calls us to ask that question honestly for, for our lives and just the world that we live in, I think that the most prominent thing is entertainment. I saw a statistic recently that said that uh, where average person is entertained for 33,000 hours in their lifetime now. Um, and that's like over three years of your life. And so that's a lot of hours. I don't know how true that is, but, but it doesn't take a statistic to know that entertainment is, is huge. Uh, and I think one of the primary issues that Christians wrestle with today, when all of society says you're entitled to entertainment, to, to rest, and you can rest however you want, and subscriptions all revolve around entertainment, uh, that it's, it's at our fingertips, and we're always trying to figure out, generally speaking, um, when is the next time I'm going to get to be entertained? How can I do the least amount of work and get the most amount of entertainment? And that entertainment takes various forms. And, and I just think that, you know, personally, and again, just as, as I see new students coming in every year and uh, people from all over the world, this isn't just a, an American thing. Uh, this is just as technology has grown. Technology isn't the issue but having idols in our hearts is the issue. And, and the temptation that comes with entertainment. And asking this question about our entertainment, how we spend our time, is this helping me run? And being willing to honestly answer that. And then to appropriate that in our lives, whatever that answer is. So... Uh, <clears throat> That second thing that he calls us to consider is it helping me run. Consider what we are carrying in our race. Both the unnecessary weights that aren't necessarily sins, but also those things that are sin. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because, yeah, I think that's pretty self-explanatory that if there's sin in our lives too, and not just specific sins, but he says, the sin which so easily entangles us. And whether he's referencing that 
generally people struggle with one specific sin. I don't think that's what he's talking about, but just in general, the sin nature. Yeah, I, I think that he's saying, you know, sin easily entangles us. And different sin in our lives that we need to, again, be evaluating and laying those, laying those down, putting sin to death. Now, <clears throat> that is, you know, we can, we can hear that and it starts to feel heavy or overwhelming. You know, that this is so, again, so demanding. Every area of my life, everything that's not contributing to my race, I'm supposed to lay aside. Like, well, what does this look like? And we get um, maybe even more discouraged. I went to the dentist this week. Sorry, it's a discouraging time. And um, actually, it was great. And first time I had been to this dentist and I was talking to him, he talks more than any dentist I've ever been to, uh, which is always fun. But he, thankfully, I think, uh, whenever he, he asks me a question, you know, some dentists, they ask you a question and they keep working in your mouth after they ask the question. And you're just thinking, this is impossible. I don't know why you're asking me questions. Uh, but he would actually stop every time he asked me a question. And so it took a lot longer because he was talking the whole time. And whenever we were having a conversation, he wouldn't work in my mouth at all, cleaning it. So uh, it was a long, a long visit. But during that visit, he was telling me that he used to be a youth pastor and, and that he noticed the pastor in his church, um, every, every Sunday, about 10 minutes before the pastor would get up and preach, he would, he would leave. He'd walk out of the sanctuary. And, and it just kind of puzzled him, like, well, what is, what is going on here? And in every Sunday, week after week, 10 minutes before, a pastor would get up, walk out, come back in, preach a sermon. Next week, same thing. Get up, leave, come back, preach a sermon. And one time, he, the, the youth pastor, my dentist, he, he was actually out uh, in the hallway when his pastor came back 10 minutes before the sermon. And, and the pastor was actually coming out of the restroom and was about to go back in and preach. And so... He, he asked him, the, the youth pastor, my dentist, he asked him, he's like, Pastor, you, you don't look very good. Are you okay? And the pastor said, well, our secret, every Sunday, right before I preach, I have to go and throw up <laughs> because I'm so nervous about speaking in front of people. And, and I was just thinking, you know what? What moves somebody to keep doing that for a living? <laughs> If every time you do it, could you imagine a doctor, every time he had to do surgery, he had to go throw up first because he can't stand blood. Uh, that, that every time before he's going to, to preach God's word, he has to go and throw up because he's that nervous. He's that unsettled about it. And what would, what would cause someone to keep doing that? Again, I'm asking this question of endurance, running the race, that the Lord has set for this pastor, placing him in this position uh, to, to shepherd that congregation week after week. What would motivate him and move him to endure? And so this third thing that we are to consider in our race, continuing in our race. So the first thing we talked about, we have this great cloud of witnesses that we can be encouraged by those who have gone before us and they can give testimony to God's faithfulness and His character. And then secondly, we ought to consider, you know, if we are feeling weighed down, we need to consider, well, what is weighing me down? 
what encumbrances or sins are in my life. And then thirdly, in verse 2 of chapter 12, is really what it's all leading up to. He says, so we run with endurance to race as I said before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is such a simple illustration. You know, we can all relate to this. Fixing what we're focused on makes a difference in our lives. Uh, this is why the, the idea of positive thinking, uh, the power of positive thinking, it, it had such an influence on people because there's an element of truth to it. Having that as your life principle, why you need to think positively, uh, isn't going to work in the long run. But, but there's an element of truth in that where our eyes are fixed, what we are focused on makes a difference in our lives, in our day-to-day living. And he says here to fix our eyes on Jesus. How do I, how is it that we have faith in Christ, that we abide in the vine? When I get a phone call from a student who says, I'm just waiting for this moment when I'm going to start abiding, it's going to click, it's going to make sense, and I'm not going to be discouraged in my walk anymore. How is it that we abide in Christ? How do we walk by the Spirit? You know, the, the sport of baseball, my grandfather, he was an umpire for, for years, and he umped for college level as well, and so he loved baseball. My dad did not like baseball, so I never played it. But my grandfather loved it, and anytime I was ever at his house, he'd get the, the ball out, and he'd give me a bat, and he'd say, okay, Johnny, we're gonna, you're going to play some baseball because your dad won't let you play. Uh, and so we, he, he tossed me the ball, and every single time, he always told me the same thing. Okay, keep your eyes on the ball. This isn't complicated. Keep your eyes on the ball. And he would throw that ball, and all of a sudden, I would look at something else, and I would swing that bat, and I would miss every time. Hundreds of times. So much. Uh, and, and yet, the only advice that he could give is keep your eyes on the ball. Because really nothing else is going to help. That my stance can change and my posture can change. I can get older, I can get stronger, and it really doesn't matter. If my eyes are still at the wrong place, then all the other things that are changing around me and the other things I try won't make any difference. Where are our eyes fixed? You know, that the Lord has wired our bodies that, that when we keep our eyes on the ball, we swing the bat, the coordination typically just happens automatically, it seems like. The communication from our eyes down to our hands to where we're swinging the bat so that it hits where the ball is as we're watching it. You know, that that's how the Lord has wired our bodies, and I think it's true spiritually. That it's a physical reality that, that is just illustrating a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. That where your eyes are fixed, where your heart is fixed, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot serve two masters. Where are our eyes fixed? So he says, 
as we're running our race and someone may grow discouraged, what is something that encourages us? He says here, where are you looking? Fix your eyes on Jesus. What is it about fixing our eyes on Christ that brings encouragement, that, that builds up or refreshes our soul in our race with him? I think he gives a couple of things here in verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, how come? Who is the author and the perfecter of faith. All of chapter 11 is about faith. People who have gone before us and they've exercised faith. Faith in the promises that they don't get to see, but they look ahead and they believe that those things are coming. These are men and women of faith. They are approved because of their faith. Now, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Jesus is the originator of faith. And so we can, we can clench our teeth and say, I'm just going to will myself to have more faith. And he says, fix your eyes on Jesus for that, not on yourself. You can't give yourself more faith. Jesus is the author of faith, so fix your eyes on him. He's not just the author, but also the perfecter. That, you know, we have, we have a, a faulty faith or an incomplete faith. We exercise faith in some areas, but not in others. And we say, okay, well, I need to discipline myself to be able to trust Christ in this other area, to have faith in this other area. And he says, no, don't discipline yourself. Look to Jesus for that faith, because he's the one who perfects your faith as well as originates it. He's the author and the perfecter. Where are your eyes fixed? As your eyes are fixed on Christ, then the faith is going to come. But if the focus is on the faith itself, then you're going to miss every time. Every time you swing. If your eyes are on the wrong thing. But faith is a good thing. But Jesus is a better thing. And Jesus is the author of faith. The creator of it. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why else should we fix our eyes on Jesus? He's the author and perfecter of our faith, but also because his example, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And we can think about the, the encumbrances and the weights and this list of things that we think, wow, Jesus demands a lot. That I need to lay aside these different things that aren't necessarily evil, but I don't think they're profitable either. They're not helping me run. And God wants me to lay those aside. That's, that's a lot. Why would I do that? And then we look at Christ and we see, okay, Jesus also ran a race. That Jesus walked on earth and he had a calling. He was a carpenter for 30 years. Not 30 years, but for 20 years, however long when he started. Uh, for, for over a decade that he's doing that, he's serving in ministry. He's ministering to people. He's healing. He's doing the things that the Father wills for him to do. That he only does that which the Father says. He only speaks that which the Father tells him to speak. That Jesus also lays aside so many different things. He lays aside his his glory, uh, that he becomes a man. Why would he do that? For the joy set before him. Why would Jesus Christ go to the cross? For the joy set before him, despising the shame, that even though the laying aside of the encumbrances can be hard, can be a challenge, 
to give up different things. And we may be tempted to say, this is too much, too much. I wonder if Job ever thought that. Or these things that you're asking me to let go of is too much. Laying aside these things, it seems like so much. And Paul says, all those things that I thought were gain, I count as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Jesus lays aside his, his place in heaven and becomes a man despising the shame because of the joy set before him. He said there's something better than these other things. Paul says there's something better than these other things that I used to think were so important. There is something better than me being entertained the way that I want to be entertained. Getting to spend time the way I want to spend time. Getting to to say the way that I say things the way I want to say them. There's something better than living life from myself and doing what I want. So there's a call here to lay aside these encumbrances, these sins, for the joy set before us. Jesus says, consider Jesus because of he ran for the joy set before him, he adored the cross, despising the shame. And we too, for the joy set before us. What is the joy before us? He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. That Christ himself is our joy. He is the goal and he is the means. He is the prize and he is the one who enables us to run. And so we fix our eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter, the sustainer of our faith. Verse 3, he says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, Consider Jesus. And this is really what the entire book of Hebrews is about. Charlie preached through Hebrews recently. And it's just again and again talking about, you know, comparing Christ to the angels and to the prophets, the old covenant versus the new covenant. Jesus being a better sacrifice than the sacrifice of the Old Testament. He's a better high priest. And he's telling the Hebrews, his readers, from the beginning, all of this is for the purpose of building up to chapter 12 when he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the old covenant. Don't fix your eyes on the old sacrifices. Don't fix your eyes on the angels or the prophets, but fix your eyes on Christ because he is better. That he is the one who sustains. He is the one who gives life. And so, as for, for us at His Hill, our years really start with the school years. You know, people make New Year's resolutions in January, but... Mine are always uh, between camp and Bible school. These are the time where I'm reflecting a lot and thinking about, okay, what things do I want to change, do differently, uh, and just really evaluating. And, and as I've been thinking about that this past week and then hope to some more this next week, uh, just considering the encumbrances and, and in, in my own walk with Christ, uh, what... What ways or what challenges do I have? What things keep me from 
fixing my eyes on Jesus. And this is something that we, we just need to be reminded of consistently. Where am I looking? Because we can swing the bats all day. We can try to live the Christian life and come up with different things that we can tweak and change to try to make it work. And yet it's so simple. He says, where are you looking? You can work with all of your might and it's never going to work. It's never going to bring fruition, bring fruit, if you're looking anywhere other than Christ. All right, let me pray. Father, we thank you just so much that you have supplied all of our needs in Christ. And Lord, we just thank you that as we consider that we're running a race, uh, and it's, it's a marathon and not a sprint, it's, it's long term, it's, yeah, it's not something that we anticipate, anticipate to just arrive um, one day in this life, but you call us each day to come and, and to die daily. And I pray that, that our hope would be in the right place, that our faith would be in the right place, that our attention and our focus would be in the right place, and that place is the person of Christ, that you are worthy and you have shown yourself worthy throughout history. We can hear countless stories from Scripture and, and just from, from the annals of history and, and be reminded and encouraged of who you are, of your faithfulness. And I just pray that we would uh, consider Jesus, that as we go into another week, that it would be going into it with our eyes fixed straight ahead at the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we thank you that you are with us and that for this we have Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.